Oh, this is the coolest church in town. Come on, you know it is. Don't you love Midtown? I love Midtown. Oh, Pastor Mo and Kendra. So we are talking about hearing uh, the voice of God, and I love this subject. All the subjects that we talk about in the church and in the Bible, uh, probably nothing more important to know or understand is how to hear the Word of God. And I, I just want to, I want to ask you a question before I get started. I want to ask you, how are you doing with that? Do you hear the Word of God? Do you hear God speak to you on a daily basis? I've got some good news for you. Today, in the next 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes, I'm going to teach you how to hear God. And if you don't hear God well, when you leave today, you're going to leave with some stuff that you didn't come in with, and you're going to be able to go home and apply that. Here's, what, here's the good news. By tomorrow, you're going to start hearing God. You're going to start hearing God. And maybe some of you say, I haven't heard God in a long time. Well, you're going to start hearing God if you apply some of the things that I teach you. But if you are already hearing God, then here's what I would say to you. I'm going to help you to hear Him better. Amen? Everything that you have in life, everything that you experience in life, once you become a follower of God, is dependent on hearing God, hearing His voice. And I think back over my almost 40 years of being a follower of Christ, that every, every step that I took where I heard God led to another step. It was the sequentialness of hearing God that led us to, to where we are today. And Midtown is a result of hearing God. In fact, God spoke to Colleen and I about 10 years ago about Midtown, way before we ever started this church, way before Mo and Kendra were even a part of our lives God spoke to us about this particular church. And I remember just having that conversation with God about planning a church in the downtown area of Atlanta. And it was sort of intimidating to me because uh, we had never really done a lot of ministry inside the city limits of Atlanta. But I knew it was the voice of God, and I knew that once God speaks, then as long as you obey him, eventually it will eventually come to pass. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you if you have a Bible to turn to Matthew chapter 6, and then we'll just start with, a, with this message. Father, for the next few moments, my prayer is that as we tap into this revelation of hearing God, that you would show each of us, regardless of our background, our history, our life with you in the past, that you will show each of us how to hear you clearly. I'm praying for a sensitization of the word. I'm praying that everyone here becomes clearer about your voice so that when they leave today, they know it's you speaking when you are speaking. They're not confusing it with other voices. And my prayer is, God, that everyone that's here, everyone watching online, that you would make a deposit by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us so that we're not the same when we leave as we were when we came in. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. All right, so I'm, I'm doing a, a, a Bible study, a Bible devotion in the mornings, every morning. And in this devotion a few, few uh, days ago, or actually a few weeks ago, I, I was reading about two uh, important words that describe God. One was the transcendence of God, and one was the imminence of God. And they were such big words, and I'm not a big word person, but I was really uh, intrigued by those two words, so I looked them up, and I, it bears understanding these two words so you'll understand where I'm coming from. So let me give you the definition of the transcendence of God. The transcendence of God means that God exists apart from, from, uh, exists from, 
and apart from and is not subject to the limitations of what we call the material universe. He is not subject to our, what we're subject to. He is above and beyond surpassing and excelling greatly superior to us. In other words, the vastness of the universe, the vastness of the creation, all that is wrapped up in who God is. And it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it theologically or even scientifically when we try to talk about existence of God or the creation of God or the beginning of God. All we know is that God is and has always been. And it's hard for us to understand that and comprehend that in our natural minds. So God is the master of everything. He, he, he's the creator of everything. He's this vast God of creation, all right? Now, the eminence of God brings God into this place where it says it's possible to experience an intimate friendship or relationship with this God. So you have the transcendence of God, this creator of all things, the master of the universe, the the, the founder of all of humanity, and yet it says he has a, a desire to have a relationship with us, an intimate relationship with us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was looking at those two thoughts about God, it really made me think deeply about my relationship with God. The fact that God, who is, in essence, the transcendence of all things, is willing to have a conversation with me, is willing to actually talk to me as an individual, take time with me. The most important of all things in the earth is God, and yet he has this ability to talk with you and with me and everyone else all at the same time about personal things that he knows about us and he wants for our lives. In fact, it says before we were ever born, God knew us. He had in his mind what he prepared for us, a purpose and a plan, and he created us for that purpose, each of us as individuals. Not, not everybody fulfills that purpose and not everybody follows God, but he says, if you will follow me, if you will listen to me and you will heed my voice, he said, then I will take my hand and put it upon you and make you succeed. You cannot fail when you follow the voice of God. So with that in mind, I started thinking about my own personal prayer life and how important it is that when you talk with God, that you don't just talk to God, but you listen. You learn to listen to God. And over the, uh, like I said, almost 40 years, in fact, right around Easter, it'll be 40 years since I met God, I, I realized that everything that I have, everything that I've achieved, the wife that I'm married to, this church that we founded 30 years ago, uh, all the blessings of God, the thousands of lives that have been changed, the marriages that have been restored, the millions of dollars that have gone into missions have all been linked into this ability to hear the voice of God. What, what's unique about that is that I, I'm not the only one that can hear God. All of us can hear God if we follow certain principles in the Bible. So I sat down and thought through this, okay, Lord, tell me, how did I start hearing God and why did I hear God so clearly early on as a Christian when I found a lot of my friends that were Christians were not hearing God? I said, what was the difference? And he kind of laid it out kind of like a, almost like an outline for me. He said, these are things that you did that I put in my word to do that a lot of Christians don't do. And so I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to kind of step you through the process of how the Lord taught me to hear God. And then if you'll follow this, this principle, I believe 
that when you leave home and you go home and you start to apply these principles, and by the way, the principles are not complicated, but they're hard to discipline yourself to do. And I think this is where a lot of Christians leave off is they don't have the personal disciplines that are necessary to hear God. All right, so let me give you the first one. The first principle of hearing God is you have to make God your highest priority and your highest pursuit. Your highest priority and your highest pursuit. All right, now, I want you to think about that. When you think about each day that you get up in the morning, you go about your business, what is your highest priority? Your highest priority is what you put first, what you do first. And here's what I'm concerned about. My concern is that since COVID hit about a year ago, it kind of threw a lot of people off their rhythm. Their rhythm has been disrupted. They used to have a rhythm of what they would do through the day, and now that rhythm's been disrupted. A lot of people aren't going to church because of COVID. A lot of you still watching online because of COVID. And as a result, it throws your rhythm off. And if you're not careful, you'll start to reprioritize your life around things that don't matter. Now think about this. Those of you especially that are young, but think about this. How much time you spend on the internet, either on social media, looking up things, reading things, the news, people's opinions, all these kinds of things, versus how much time you spend with God personally, versus how much time you spend with God. And then think about how much time you prioritize those things even over your time with God. One of the main topics that Jesus spends a lot of time talking about in the first major sermon that he preaches, the Sermon on the Mount, is about priorities. And he talks to the people about this. He says, this is Matthew 6, he says, why are you spending all this time worrying about things? Worrying about things. He says, you worry about what you're going to put on. You worry about what you're going to eat. You, you, you spend your life worrying about things that the world worries about and you waste time worrying. He said, let me give you a way to live your life where you will not have to worry. How many of you would like to have a life where you don't have to go through life with worry? Come on, somebody. How many of you know worry can mess you up? Fear, anxiety, worry, ruminating on thoughts that are defeating inside of you, thinking negativity, negative thoughts. There are a lot of people that are Christians that just don't know how to get free from worry and fear. So I'm reading through the Bible one day and the Sermon on the Mount, and this is my early days of Christianity, and the Lord speaks a scripture to me out of Matthew chapter 6. It's a simple, simple statement, but perhaps one of the most important statements that he ever made in the Bible. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, but seek first. Everybody say first. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And notice what he says will happen. Everything that you need will be added to you. All of these things that you're worried about, that you're concerned about, whether it's finances, whether it's relationship whether it's a job, whether it's health, whatever it is, whatever you need, when you put me first, I'm going to create a life where you're no longer earning things, but you're receiving things. So instead of getting up every day to go earn a living or work for a living, you're going to each day 
worshiping God and receiving a living. You're receiving the living. You're receiving God's hand upon your life. If you knew that every day you're up and you're about, your business, about the Lord's business, that God's hand is on you, wouldn't that be a wonderful life? That God is over you. He's watching over you. He's there to protect you from things that might harm you. He's there to make sure you make good choices. He's there to guide you and lead you in the directions and help you make better decisions, better choices, give you wisdom that other people don't have, know how to make good choices about your career, about relationships, all those kinds of things, so that your life has favor on it while other people around you are struggling. Now, here's what I've found. There's two types of followers of God, two types. And let's see which one you are. These are the two types. Those who view God as an addition to their life, like I have my life, I have made my choices, I've made my decisions, I chose my career path, I chose who I want to go out with, I chose my friends, I choose, I choose, I choose. And God, you just come and I add you onto this equation. You're just a part of it. Jesus, my homeboy, you're, you're, you're with me. You're my God who never leaves me or forsakes me. You're with me. And God, I'll let you know when I need you. I'll, I'll call upon you if I get in trouble or something going wrong. I'll call upon you. But otherwise, I'm just, you're just kind of a part of my life, but you're not my whole life. And then there's others who view God as their primary pursuit in life. Like, God, you are everything to me. I am pursuing you above my career, above relationships, above my happiness, above money, above entertainment, above all those things. God, you're my primary pursuit. I put you ahead of everything else. Now, here's what I know. If you don't put God at the first part of everything in your life, if he's not your primary pursuit, listen to me, you won't hear him very well. You won't hear him very well. It's not that you won't hear him at all, but you won't hear him very well. And when you don't put him at the top, if he's not at the top of your pursuit, then what ends up happening is you spend your life reacting to life instead of creating life. Now, this is huge. What I've found is when I pray, when I talk with God, I have two options in my prayer. Either I'm praying all about my problems and praying all about my needs and all those kinds of things, or I'm praying out what God's Word says I can have and what can be accomplished through the Word of God. Instead of reacting, I'm creating with my words. And I'm saying, God, I know what your Word says, and as I pray these things, I'm going to obey them. All right? Now, what I discovered is that when you put God first in your life, you put him at the top, listen to me carefully, this is so important, you have time multiplied in your life. How many of you could use a little more time? You, could, you, you, you run out of time, if you, you get so busy you run out of time. Whenever I'm running out of time, it's because somewhere I've put time in this place where God's no longer the first of my time. He's usually second, third, or fourth. And so when I put God in this category of third or fourth, time, instead of multiplying, gets stolen. And here's what I've learned about your relationship with God. When Jesus is an addition to your life and difficult things happen, he can also become a subtraction in your life. 
You can become, he can become subtracted because of worry, because of fear. So each day, what I've learned with God, what this looks like is I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is I start to commune with God, either through the Bible or through prayer. It says Jesus would get up before everybody else. He would go out into a deserted place and he would isolate himself from all the people that were around him and he would pray. He would seek what God's will is for the day. What is God's will for today? He would ask God where to go, who to talk to, and so forth. So basically, if you want to start your journey with God, listen to me carefully, you have to prioritize first a time with God, secondly, a place with God, and then thirdly, a purpose with God. So I got to have a time, I got to have a place, and I got to have a purpose. And when I put God first, then I set in motion this ability to hear God speak to my My devotional life is a direct reflection of where I place God in my life, all right? So if I don't place God first, that means he's just addition. He's just an addition. But if he's my highest pursuit, he is first. He's before social media. He's before TV. He's before talking to my friends on the phone. He's before, you know, all these other things. God, you're first. Now, that's the first thing. The second thing is I've got to learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I gotta learn to listen. I have this little plaque my wife put on our kitchen counter, and it's, it's the book of Psalms, it's Psalm 4610. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. And it reminds me every day, okay, you need to have a season of time each day where you're still, <laughs> where you're not always doing something. Where you're just still and you're in this place, you position yourself where you can listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. How much stillness do you have in your life? Stillness. All right, so I'm learning this process. I'm, I'm learning to find the still place with God. And in the early days, I'm reading through the Bible and I'm asking God, how do you speak to us? How does that happen? And the Lord took me over to the book of John, chapter 16. And John 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's trying to teach them how to hear God. And what he's saying to them, he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, I'm going to go there before you, and I'm, I'm, but I'm going to prepare you. And he says, because there's a moment that's coming right now where I'm going to leave you. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to die for all the sins of humanity. And then I'm going to raise from the dead, and I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to ascend into heaven, and I'm going to leave the, the third person of God, the Holy Spirit, with you to help you navigate the future, help you navigate what's coming. And the Holy Spirit, who is also God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is God, the three in one become God, three in one, and yet each has a distinct uh, function in the Godhead. He says, this Holy Spirit is going to do some things in your life. And here's what he says in John chapter 16 in, in, in verse uh, 12. He says, there is so much more <laughs> that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. And what he's, before we go any further, this is what the Lord got my attention when he first said that to me. He said, there's a lot of things that I want to say to you that you're just not in a position to hear right now. You've got some things that are blocking it, there's, or there's maybe you're not, you don't have the, the expansion in your heart to receive it. 
If the Lord told me when I first got saved everything that I would experience over the next 40 years, I wouldn't have been able to accommodate that. I wouldn't have been able to believe that because it was so beyond my comprehension or my even thinking that I could do some of the things that I've had the privilege to do. So he's saying that I want to say things to you, but you can't hear them right now. And then he says, when the spirit of truth, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, comes, he, he's a person, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He's not going to just speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He's telling you what the Godhead, the Father, has, has said, and he will tell you about the future. Now, I don't know about you, but I know this about people that can hear about the future. They have a leg up on everybody else. If they know what's coming, if they know what's happening in the future, they can prepare themselves for what's coming. Unfortunately, most people don't have the mindset that God talks to them about the future because they don't have that kind of communion with God. So they're just usually reacting to the present. Most people are just reacting to the present. And so when they're going through something that's difficult in their life because they can't see into the future, they don't know how bad it's, how, how things are gonna resolve itself, they, it creates worry, it creates fear, it creates depression, it creates addiction, it creates all kinds of problems because they can't see past the right now. But he's saying you can have a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit where he shows you what's coming. He gives you an, a, 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 an inclination of what's coming. Now, the amazing thing that I discovered about the Holy Spirit is when you give your heart to Jesus, when you say yes to God through Jesus, you say, Jesus, come, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me of my past, and give me a new life. When you do that, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. God living, the creator of the universe, living on the inside of you. You have the literal connection to God every single moment of every single day because he's not some ethereal spirit out there floating around. He's living inside you. Jesus would say, and he said, my father and I are going to come and make our abode within you, and that is in the form of the Holy Spirit. So now you have dwelling in you the greater one, the king of, of kings, the Lord of lords. He is dwelling within you. You're not God. It's God living inside of you and wanting to lead you, to guide you, to help you navigate life from this point forward. And then Paul would say it this way in Romans chapter 8, 14, for all who are led by this spirit that's in you, you are the children of God. Those who are led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. All right, so how does God lead us? I believe there's two primary ways that God speaks to people. It's not the only way. He can speak from an outward voice. He can speak through a vision. He can speak through a dream. But the two primary ways that God speaks to us is through an inward witness and an inward voice. An inward witness and an inward voice. Now, he speaks in other ways, but these are the primary ways. So, so what's an inward witness? An inward witness is what we call spiritual intuition. It's where more of a sense that God is bearing witness with your spirit about a particular decision. So, in other words, you're praying. You're asking God, God, what is your will for this situation? Should I date this person? Should I take this career? Should step? Should I buy this house? What could you? And you feel a witness in you 
yes or no, a simple witness to do something. But then, sometimes God takes it to another level called an inward voice. And an inward voice is where the witness moves into an actual voice, where you hear God saying something, and usually it's guiding you in a major decision that you're making in life. So let me illustrate this. I'm a brand new Christian. I'm six months old in the Lord. I'm in my early 20s. I'm 22 years old. And I'm trying to navigate life. I don't have a church at this time. I'm just, like I said, a brand new Christian. I'm just starting to read the Bible, just starting to listen to God. And I'm reading, reading the Bible one morning. In my, I was living up in, just outside New York City. I had a business up there with my father. We, we, we were partners in a business just out of college. And I'm starting this business. And I'm reading the Bible. And after I finish reading the Bible, I'm just sitting there kind of just thinking about what I read. And I hear a voice speak inside me, just a still, small voice say to me, um, Dennis, I want you to sell your business, and I want you to move to Richmond, Virginia. I was living, like I said, right around New York. I want you to move to Richmond, Virginia, and I want you to help a, a new church that's down there. This pastor just started a church down there that you visited one time. He said, that church you visit, I want you to move down there, and I want you to help that pastor with his church get started. I want you to sell your business. I want you to pick, pack up and move to Richmond, Virginia. Now, you have to understand, I'm, again, I'm only six months old in the Lord. I'm learning to hear God's voice. But for whatever reason, because I was so engaged with pursuing God, I felt very confident that's what God was saying to me. So I got up from the table, I went into the living room, and I sat down with my father, who, who had gone into business with, and I said, Dad, who's not a believer, and I said, Dad, I know this is going to sound really strange, but I said, I, I feel like God just spoke to me. He said, really? I said, he said, he spoke to you? I said, he spoke to me, and here's what I feel like he said. He said, I felt like he said, I'm supposed to sell this part, the, my part of the business back to you, and I'm supposed to kind of divest myself of all the inventory that I have over the next two months, and I'm supposed to move to Richmond, Virginia to help this church get started. Now, I fully expected him to say, you, you're, you've lost your mind, you're crazy. But instead, he said, well, you just got to do what you got to do. So I started the process of divesting myself of the inventory I had, sold my business, what I had to him, getting ready to move. I took a couple visits down. In the process... I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, doing a home show as I'm divesting myself of this inventory. And a girl comes up to me at where I was working, and she starts talking to me. And I, as I'm talking to her, I was just very intrigued with her. I asked her to go to lunch. We go to lunch, and then we had such a great conversation. I asked her to go out that evening. We go to see a movie called The Chariots of Fire, which is a kind of a God movie. And it's about a missionary hearing God and so forth. And after the movie's over with, the Lord says to me, you know, you, you're not, you, if you're going to have a relationship with this girl, you need to make sure she believes in Jesus. So I start talking to her. She's a Catholic, but she doesn't know about being born again. So that night on our first date, I lead her to the Lord. After I lead her to the Lord, about two to three weeks later, the Lord says to me, she's the one. She's the one. Now, I remember hearing the Lord say that very clearly. This is the one you're going to marry. Now, I didn't tell her that. I don't recommend you telling people when you first hear the Lord say that. By the way, if you're dating somebody and you've been dating them for a couple of years and you haven't heard that, 
you might want to move on. You might want to move on. If you're not hearing this is the one, what are you wasting your time for? All right, so, so I go back home and I say, Lord, how can I have a relationship with this girl? She lives in Pittsburgh. I live in New York. I'm moving to Richmond. How can that happen? And here's what the Lord said to me. He said, when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And basically what he was saying is, when you find the right one, you will find a way. You will, girls, just understand this. Any man that's worth their salt in God, if they feel like they're the, you're the one, they will find a way. They will find a way, even though there's all these obstacles. So I immediately thought, okay, I've got to call her. So I called her, and she was kind of surprised. She thought I'd forgotten about her. I called her. I said, I want to fly up to New York. I want to get to know you a little better. So she flew up. I said, I'm moving to Richmond, Virginia. Do you want to come down and help me get moved? And so, you know, help me find a place. And so she visited me down there. While she was down there, she went to the same little church that I was visiting, got introduced to the same uh, people, and she felt the Lord saying to her to move there without any promise of commitment from me because we hadn't made any commitments to each other. She moves there, and 38 years later, yada, 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 we've been married. 38 years. The two most important decisions that you will ever make in your life outside of receiving Christ is what you do with your life for Christ and who you marry. Because who you marry, if, you, if, you, if you're called to be married, now I say that, I want to qualify that because not everybody's called to be married. And some of you are going, thanks. But if you're called to be married... That person can make you or break you. And the last thing you want to do is hook on to someone. You're called by God, but hook on to someone that you've got to drag kicking and screaming to God. Drag them to church. Drag them to follow God. That ultimately, they will hinder what you accomplish for God. That's why you can't just marry somebody you're attracted to. You can't just marry somebody because they look good or they have a good job or, or they're, they're a good talker or they got a great personality. You got to marry the person that God created for you to marry. And he knows that person. He's already prepared them for you. But most young people are looking on the internet. They're searching in all the wrong places. Instead of asking God to guide them to the right person, they're using all the natural ways to find a person. Match.com, you know, 44 ways that match you up. And then you go match them up, and then you find out this is not who I'm supposed to be with. Have y'all ever been on the internet searching for somebody? It is an ocean of creatures out there. Have y'all found that out? And you got some single people spending all day long on 45 different sites. Who's, who's checking me out? Who's looking at me? Who's, who's, who wants to go out with me? Instead of praying, seeking the voice of God and letting God guide you and direct you to that relationship. God has the person, but he's not going to show you if you're not pursuing him first you're listening to all these other voices, all right? So you got to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You got to pursue Him first. Number three, you got to balance the voice with the written Word of God. The written Word of God. Now, it's, it's important, it's imperative, and this is why it becomes a little difficult if you're new in the Lord, 
to know what, whether God's speaking because if you don't know the word of God yet, then when I say, I'm talking about the Bible, if you don't know the Bible yet, sometimes you'll hear a voice say something to you or you'll feel an inward witness about something that is not God. It is not God. Sometimes it's the voice of, a, of another person. Sometimes it's the voice of your circumstance. Sometimes it's the voice of the devil. Sometimes it's the voice of your feelings. There's a lot of different voices that are speaking. And it says, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they will not listen to the voice of a stranger. They will not listen to the voice of the enemy. All right, so in order for me to know what, whether God is saying something, I've got to ask myself, what does God already say? What has he already said? So when people say, I just need a word from God, let me tell you how to get a word from God. Read the Bible. Every day, God will give you a word if you will read the Bible. That is God's speaking to us. Would you all agree with me? And when you're reading the Bible, you're seeing this is what God says. This is his will because God's word is his will. And faith begins where the word of God is known, where the will of God is known. And so if I can have faith in something, it has to be in the word. So that way, when I hear a voice speaking to me, I measure it. Does it already say this in the Word? Does it back it up in the Scriptures? Do y'all, are y'all following me? So here's what I found. God never says anything that, that doesn't agree with what He already said. It already agrees with what He already said. So like this past political season, we had a, a lot of people going around, so-called prophets, saying, Donald Trump is going to be the next president of the United States, thus saith the Lord. And you had all kinds of evangelical Christians listening to the prophets and saying, the prophets said, so it has to come to pass. And then it didn't come to pass. And it was so shocking to hundreds of thousands of well-meaning Christians who were listening to the voice of the prophets. And they were trying to figure out, how did the prophets miss it? The prophets missed it because they were prophesying not based on what God has said in the word, but according to the idols of the hearts of the people. Ezekiel says this. He said, in the prophet, I, he said, I will fill the prophet with words that will prophesy according to the idols of the heart of the people. Then I will judge the people and I will judge the prophet. In other words, the people so wanted this to happen, they made it into God said it. Does that make sense? And then when God didn't say it, then the people started asking themselves the question, who can I trust? Let me tell you who you can trust. The Bible. The Bible. The Bi Listen to me carefully. The Bible does not tell us who the next president of the United States is. But what the Bible does tell us is, whoever is the next president, we are to support them in prayer. We are to speak words of life and not death over them, regardless of whether they're our man or they're not our man. Y'all all right out there? Whether they're Republican or Democrat. You have some Christians that think Jesus is a Republican or a Democrat. They really have so politicized Jesus that they put him in a category. Jesus is out of your box, guys. He does not live in the Republican democracy. He does not live. God is a theocracy. He rules and reigns over all. We don't vote on God. We don't vote on whether we want him to do something or not. So once he says it, we have to trust it and act on it. That's why the Bible calls a Christian a nation within a nation. 
You're a people of God that are peculiar, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are not one who blends into the political scene of America. You are one who stands out as someone who follows God above all else. And you don't base your life on politics. You don't base your life on anything that's societal injustices. Doesn't make, you don't base your life on that. You base your life on what is God saying and how do I function with God? What does the word say? So, I'm a single person. Let me go back to single folks because I think we have a few of you here. I'm going to date somebody. I, I, I like them. They're attracted to them. They're really nice. They're really friendly. They've got a good job. This must be the Lord, but they're not a follower of Jesus. So, I go ahead and just disobey the word of God. Lord, I know you're, you've got this person in my life, and you start dating them. You fall in love with them. And then you decide to marry them even though they're not a follower of Jesus. And you say this, God told me to marry them. No, he didn't. God told you not to marry them. God says in the Bible, do not uh, yoke yourself with unbelievers. Don't be yoked in a relationship. When I say relationship, like you're going to marry them, you're going to be close relationship with somebody who's not a follower of God. doesn't mean you don't have relationships with people like that. It just means you don't yoke yourself to them. And yet you see single people do it all day long. And the number one thing that causes single people to backslide from God is relationships. Number one thing, they start off with God, but then the relationship becomes their idol. They trade God off for the person. And the next thing you know, they've subtracted Jesus from their life. All right, so you balance it with the Word of God, and then finally, you act on what you hear. You act, when you hear God speak, you act on what you hear. Now, I'm reading the Bible years ago, and this became my, I have a few life scriptures. This became one of my life scriptures uh, in James chapter 1. And here's what he says in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, but don't just listen (laughs) to God's Word. You must do what it says. You have to actually do it. Don't just hear it, but you have to do it. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. He says, for if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully to the perfect law that sets you free, he says, he says, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. In other words, you act on it. So I'm thinking back on all these different things that I've heard about listening to God and having God speak to me. And I recognize that I was in a meeting one time and I was listening to a a pastor talk about hearing God. And this pastor was from Seoul, Korea. His name was Dr. David Yonki Cho. And this is many years, this is about 30 years ago. And he's speaking to a group of leaders and pastors. And the question comes to him, because he, he, at the time, he was the pastor of the largest church in the world. It's hard to wrap your head around this, but his church had 880,000 members. 880,000. In other words, you could fill the, the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium over 10 times with the people that went to his church. Are you following me? They have 39 services with a stadium. When they wanted to meet with their Leaders, It's hard for us in America to wrap our heads around what God's doing in the earth. We, we limit it to what we see in church here in the earth. We don't recognize that in, in the world, God is doing some amazing, huge things. So when he wants to meet with his leaders, he has to rent the Olympic Stadium because he has 100,000 leaders that he has to meet with. So 
They said, what do you do? How do you hear God so clearly? How did you get this church to this place? And he said this very simply. He said, here's what I do. Ready for this deep revelation. He goes, I pray and I obey. I pray and I obey. Let's say that together. I pray and I obey. In other words, I don't just hear, but I act on it. Now, I want you to think about this. It's hard for you to understand this, but, but I'm standing here, and I'm thinking, and this little nostalgia is kind of running through my veins right now. Because not only did God speak to me 10 years about this, ago about this church, and three years ago about Mo and Kendra, but just the whole, the whole journey that I've had with God for 40 years, and I just realized, had I been sitting there at my table in New York, having breakfast, and the Lord said to me, I want you to sell your business, I want you to move to Richmond, and then a, a few weeks later, this is the one, I want you to marry this one. Had I just said, well, Lord, I'm not ready for that, I'm not ready to obey that yet. Or I said, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I wanna marry her, I'm not ready for marriage. I'm not ready to be serious yet. I'm thinking to myself, what would have happened if I just said, just in that one critical moment in my life, if I'd have said, no, no. Now here's what's staggering about that. Fast forward almost 40 years later, here we are sitting at Midtown. We have three services, about to go into a new building and some of you have seen the new building and you gotta understand, because I've, I've walked through many transitions to new buildings. When a church goes to a new building, it usually doubles in one year, it doubles. And sometimes can triple and sometimes it just goes from there, it just explodes from there. So this church, what you're experiencing right now during COVID season is just a, a small sliver of what you're gonna see next year about this time at Midtown. You're gonna see hundreds of people get saved in this between now and next year that you never thought would darken the doors of this church. You're gonna see millions of, do of dollars eventually come through this church and go out into missions. You're gonna see all the nations of the world. You're gonna see all these things happen. And then I think about what would happen if I just said no instead of saying yes. Nobody is sitting in this room right now. Nobody. You're not sitting here. We don't have a church here. Midtown doesn't exist. Not only does Midtown not exist, Victory doesn't exist. You don't have a church of 142 nations. You don't have a church that has 18,000 members in it. You don't have a church that's sown over $75 million into missions. You don't have a church that is changing the world all around the world, healing families. You wouldn't have any of that if, if, if I hadn't said no. You might have had some other things. I mean, there's other churches, but you just wouldn't have Victory. Every decision that you make about hearing God has a sequential effect on thousands if not millions of people and based on your willingness to obey God can determine the future of thousands of people's lives if you make the right choice to sit back and just idly treat God like well I'll, I'll, maybe I'll do you obey you maybe I won't that's not really a that's not a part of the equation with God. God didn't put you on this earth to maybe, maybe obey Him. He put you on this earth to get serious about Him. To say, yes, sir, whatever you tell me to do, God, it's not my choice about my career. It's not my choice about marriage. It's not my choice. Of, it's what do you want? What's your will for my life? 
What do you want me to do with money? What do you want me to do with my time? What do you want me to do with my, my relationships? What do you want, God? You're the number one pursuit. Here's what I know about God. Some of you are sitting here, and you are just one voice away from an incredible future. Just one thing that God wants to say to you that maybe you're not ready to hear right now because you haven't really prioritized God yet. But when you put Him in the right priority, everything sequentially shifts and changes, and it has this direct impact on thousands of other people's lives. I grew up here in the South. I grew up in a little town called McDonough, Georgia. I grew up on a dirt road. I lived on a dirt road my entire life until I went to college. I walked around in the summer. I never wore shoes. I, I was a country boy. I talked like this. I was really country. I rode around in pickup trucks. I drank little Millers. I mean, I was a redneck. I didn't fellowship with black people. Black people and white people didn't go to school together when I was in high school. When they started to, to integrate, they, all they did was create Christian schools so whites didn't have to go to school with blacks. I didn't have any knowledge of slavery or the history of oppression or the prejudice between blacks and whites because I didn't know any black people. Why would God use me, a country redneck, grew up on a dirt road to, to start a ministry that would reconcile cultures, that would reach the world with Jesus? Why? Listen to me. I pray and I obey. If you pray and obey, Everything changes. Everything changes. What's going to happen to this church, you have two pastors, Pastor Mo and Pastor Kendra, and you have a ma magnificent team. The reason God chose them is not because I had some long-term relationship with them. I did barely, I mean, I'd only known them for a few months. Really, only known them for a few months. And there were a lot of black leaders in our church that thought, how come you passed me over and put them in the pastorate? All I can tell you is, God didn't speak to me about them. He spoke to me about this couple. Now, why did he speak to me about this couple? I asked God, I said, why them? And here's what the Lord said to me. He said, because I have prepared them through all their ups and downs, their trials of life, their journey in the black church, their journey with Bernice King, their journeys in, in black America, that prepare them to be able to pastor a church that can also reach other races besides black people. That they're not just a black church. They're pastors that can reach all the different nationalities. And they were the first black couple that I had met in a while that I felt confident had the heart for white people as much as they have for black people. I believe that. And not only white people, but Hispanic people. And not only Hispanic people, but Asian people. There's no way to even comprehend how God has moved over the 30 years of victory to where now this church is the most multicultural church in America with 143 different nationalities. Nothing, nothing even comes close to it. It might be in the world. And there's no way to understand how that happened. There's no way to understand how a church like this ever grew to where it grew except this. These people, other pastors, leaders, pray 
and obey. I want to pray with you this morning. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to think about what you just heard. What would happen today if you just decided, I'm going to go home and I'm going to reprioritize my life around God. I'm going to start putting God first in the morning, not second or third. I'm going to shut down the stuff that's distracted me and I'm going to get with God first. I'm going to develop a relationship with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, invite him to speak to me. I'm going to read the Bible regularly so I can know that God's speaking lines up with the Word. And then God, when you speak, I promise I will obey you. No matter what it costs, no matter how difficult it is, I will obey you. Father, my prayer is that that's the kind of people you're bringing to Midtown. You're raising up a church that hears your voice and doesn't listen to the voice of a stranger. Lord, would you prepare this church now for the next, the next journey they're about to take as they get ready to go into their new building, they step into this new dimension of impact and influence in the city. I pray for more leaders to step up to the plate and lead in this church, more leaders to lead small groups, more leaders to step into roles of influence in their business world and community. I'm praying for people to be more generous with their giving, Lord. I'm praying for people to be more connected to each other relationally. But most of all, Lord, I'm just praying that as you speak to us as a church, speak to the people of this church right here, that you are preparing people to do something great with their life by just obeying what you tell them to do. We pray and we obey in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give Jesus all the praise. <laughs>